0: You're listening to Hope for Today Church Podcast. We're so glad that you're joining in this virtual space. We believe that as you listen, Jesus will minister to you right where you are. So open up your mind and your heart to what the word would say to you today. Thank you for joining us. And remember, Jesus is our hope for today. Okay, so I'm gonna invite you guys to turn to uh, 1 Kings. We're gonna get right into it. The computer had a mind of its own, and so we're gonna get right into it this afternoon. Uh, So glad you guys are here. Um, We've been continuing our series, Uh, If I Only Knew Then, What I Know Now. Uh, and I've been, you know, it's been encouraging me deeply as I've been looking to Scripture, reading just like you at home in your devotional life, and gleaning from the Word of God and and how it so practically speaks day in and day out. The, the wisdom of our Lord, the words from Scripture as they encourage us in our thought life, how they encourage us, you know, in the, what we speak to one another, how we speak to each other, and how we also encourage one another and affirming God's Word over everything else. Um, and so this delicate balance, um, if you will, and I know this afternoon, as we dig into the Word of God once again, as we seek the wisdom of the Holy Spirit, you'll be encouraged. You will also be um, challenged. And so this afternoon, we're going to look to two passages, uh, starting in First Kings, and I believe as we look to these um, stories, these narratives this afternoon, it'll not only reveal God's nature to us, but also instruct us in matters of faith, healing, Iniquity and most of all, God's providence. You know, anytime you hear the word God's providence, it might seem this outlandish, lofty idea. But at the end of the day, if you can wrap your head around the fact that divine providence simply speaks to the spiritual power and protective care of our loving Father, it'll resonate with you on a very personal uh, level. And so as we go to 1 Kings um, 17, we're going to explore these timeless truths Together. And as we go to 1 Kings 17, last week we looked at Elijah and the widow of Zarephath. Did that speak to you? That minister to you? I know, for me personally, looking when you when you hit bottom rock, if you will, that's when you're truly tested. That's where you you find out what all your resource or your trust is. And here we see how Elijah worked uh, in the life of the widow and her son. And when they were breaking uh, or baking their last uh, meal they were going to eat, they thought that was it; they were going to die. And Elijah said, "That's not the last word. You thought that was the final say, but God has the final say, and He's." is going to provide for you and it's going to overflow so get ready and so with that in mind at the end of verse 16 Elijah then this says as the uh, writer of Kings accounts for us the flour or jar did not become empty and the oil jug did not run dry according to the word of the Lord he had spoken through Elijah and then in verse 17 where we pick up today it says this after this The son of the woman who owned the house became ill. His illness got worse until he stopped breathing. She said to Elijah, man of God, why are you here? Have you come to call attention to my iniquity so my son is put to death? But Elijah said to her, give me your son. So he took him from her arms, brought him to the upstairs room where he was staying and laid him on his own bed. Then he cried out to the Lord and said, Lord my God, have you also brought tragedy on the widow I am staying with by killing her son? Then he stretched himself out over the boy three times. And he cried out to the Lord and said, Lord my God, please let this boy's life come into him again. So the Lord listened to Elijah, and the boy's life came into him again, and he lived. Then Elijah took the boy, brought him down from the upstairs room into the house, and gave him to his mother, and Elijah said, look, your son is alive. And then the woman said to Elijah, now I know you are a man of God, and the Lord's word from your mouth is true." I mean, when you look at this encounter, this what impresses upon my heart may be similar to you is you see how Elijah was not happy with the situation. In a, in a many respects, it even perplexed him. We've we've seen your work here, Lord, and and now why this? And he, but he comes before the Lord. Doesn't allow that to determine any further, and he pleads for this widow's son three times. He stretches himself. It, we can see this action. He's actively engaging in prayer, petitioning the Lord, as we even sing here today. Lord, my God, please let this boy's life come into him again. How many of you can relate to Elijah? How many times have you repetitively made those petitions? What really struck me again was the aspect how he stretched himself over the boy. I mean, that must have, in many respects, felt awkward. If there were people watching, it would have looked very interesting, maybe even perplexing. But Elijah calls the Lord who he knew, the same one who gave the provision for the unlimited flour and oil that he could make away. And here we see in this passage, this widow's son is not only raised from the dead, but we see how that in the midst of this heart-wrenching situation, God always sees. This is the title I have for today, Does God See Me? And if you go around and you ask people, a lot of them would say, I don't know if there is a God, and if there is a God, I don't think he knows me. I don't believe he hears my prayers And at one point here, Elijah's asking these questions. Lord, what's going on? And he begins to petition. He mentions how he says to the Lord, are you now going to allow this to happen to the very woman who brought and showed hospitality to me? And her despair became this palpable substance to Elijah where he thought this cannot be and one of the things I wrote here when I asked the question does God see we need to be in a need to get to a place where we don't allow apathy to set in he was so disturbed to the point where he appropriately went to the Lord and said I am going to come before my Lord and I'm going to pray and plead for this child to be raised once again but here I wrote in my notes here in the sub margin sometimes we give in too easily Sometimes we might think, God doesn't see me, or God's not listening today, and so we tuck it away. Maybe we give up a little too easily. But here Elijah is showing us not once, not twice, but three times he stretched over the boy. What do you do when you face a heart wrenching situation? In those situations, what do you do? What do you speak in those moments? Elijah's showing us here in verse 21 of what it means to act in faith. It wasn't just him going to the widow and putting a reassuring, calming hand on her shoulder and saying, I believe the Lord will provide and will raise your son. But he stepped into action. He leaped, so to speak, in action. It began to pray and to fervently press in. And so this account, this story, as I've written here in some next steps, this account illustrates for us a few things. And we're going to look at those here this afternoon. One is the reality of suffering. You know, we live in a world in time that even within the Christian church, there are those who profess and say, because I'm blessed and highly favored, I will never experience any suffering. But that's not what the gospel shows us, in fact, Jesus suffered himself. We looked at that a few weeks ago, and that was on purpose. To show when he says, you will share in my cup, you will share in my glory. That we are blessed when we face trials. Because in those trials, we see the glory of God revealed. And so here we, hear, we see here this suffering, this iniquity. In fact, the woman, the, the widow, brings attention to it. He says, are you here? Are you calling attention to my iniquity? Is that why my son has now died? You know, we know firsthand experience that loss is a part of our human experience. Death in itself is part of our living And yet, in those times of despair, it's essential we turn to God no matter what we face. You know, there are times where, and I've been guilty of this, when you hear of a grim news of a loved one or a friend, you are quick to jump to acceptance. And there's nothing wrong with that. Naturally, we need to grieve, we need to mourn. Grieving is a healthy part of that experience, but we're not meant to live there. We're meant to believe that with God, all things are possible. Here we see when Elijah brings the widow's son to her. She says, "Look, your son is alive." And the woman said to Elijah, "Now I know you are a man of God and the Lord's word from your mouth is true." I mean, this amazed me. It's not that like you have to go around raising the dead in order for people to believe that God is truly alive today but he can do it. You know, there's been times like you, I've been sitting in a, you know, a memorial service. I did it with my own father and others. I'd be sitting there and praying to the Lord, Lord, how amazing it would be right now. I believe you can raise that loved one right now. And you start to imagine, right? And it's an incredible thought of what could happen. But sometimes in the grieving, sometimes in the despair, we can get caught up in that just there. We can set up camp to live there. And I believe that's something I wrote here in my notes. The enemy wants to use that against us. He wants to use our grieving against us. He wants you to live in your despair. He wants you to do that because it becomes bitterness begins to sprout up that you can't thrive, you can't live your life. Number, number two here, this, this encounter we see here with the widow's son being raised, the power of faith, Elijah's unwavering faith in God's ability to intervene not only brought about this miracle, yeah, surely the son's been raised, but now allowed for transformation, finally, for this widow, what she say there at the end? Now I know you are a man of God and the Lord's word from your mouth is true. Maybe before that, maybe she thought, man, this is great. This God that you serve has provided for me. But now she believes for herself that the word of God is true and can be trusted. Up to this point, the God that that she and others had served was a mute God, did not answer their prayers, therefore was not attentive to their prayers. But now she came you know, face-to-face with the living God. Think about it. Like this story with Elijah, our faith, even the darkest moments, can pave a way for God's miraculous intervention. You know, Many of you have actually said, and I appreciate the encouragement each of you have shared when you're going through situations, you're going through trials, even of that of a health issue, you'll say, you know what, I believe God has the power to heal, he has the power to save, but perhaps in that situation, it's not a matter of doubt, but when I go to the hospital, there may be someone there that he wants me to rub shoulders with, he wants me to encourage. And this is something I admit I never thought about in my younger years. I would be right there being like, God, why is this happening to me? But when we can step back and, and appropriately and authentically ask, Lord, why is this happening? Why have you brought this? And we start to be realigned, understand perspective, that God, he doesn't bring this over us. The, we live in a fallen world. Disease and death came into the world because of the original sin, but he's working through it. He's rescuing us. He's ministering to us to show us that isn't he truly worthy to be exalted and he will make a way. Many doors will present themselves, but we need to trust. I can believe in this moment, Elijah, after everything he had seen, he may have been a little nervous. I mean, he's human like us. We're told in James 5, he was just like us. And so he begins to pray, oh, Lord, my God, please let this boy's life come into him again. And then after that, he left the results to the Lord. You know, sometimes we make it more complicated than it needs to be. There's no set way and formula in which we need to pray for people, the way we need to petition for people. We simply need to just come before him, call upon the name of the Lord, and you will be saved. You know, there's been times and places I've gone to meetings and well-intentioned folk and such, and even I'm sure I've done it along the way, saying, well, you need to you know, pray like this. But at the end of the day, the Lord is present in all of our circumstances. Iniquity is defined as this immoral or grossly unfa- uh, unfair behavior. In first John 1 9, we're told this if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. In this moment when the woman brings to the attention of Elijah. Is this happening because of my iniquity? At that moment, I believe this is the beginning of her coming to God moment, of truly believing, because it's in that moment where repentance is able to take place. She was aware of, our, of her iniquity. She was completely, you know, in touch with the, the error of her ways. You know, even at that time, when I found a really helpful in studying for this afternoon is it was common belief for religions of this time in the ancient world for gods to punish people with illness. If you didn't please those gods, he was going to strike you with something. He was going to knock you down a peg or two and he would get your attention. But Elijah, in this situation, not only did he show that God could be trusted, he could provide, but the Lord is not one who's out there to get after people, to get even with people, to strike people with illness or death just for his mere amusement. That was very different from any other so-called God in the time. Except he desires to rescue his creation. Look at Isaiah 53 verses four to six when it looks to this joy that we are uh, able to call ourselves blessed with because we uh, proclaim faith in Christ, this peace that we have with God. It says in Isaiah 53 verses four to six, you probably know it well, yet he himself bore our sickness and he carried our pains, but we in turn regarded him stricken, struck down by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed because our iniquities, punished for our peace was on him, and we are healed by his wounds. We all went astray like sheep, and we have all turned to our own way, and the Lord has punished him for the iniquity of us all. So she was very accurate in the fact that her iniquity was true and right. But that's not the reason why this was happening. God would be glorified in the midst. His word would be trusted. And we look at it and bring it full circle to today that we can see that we don't live in the the presentness of our iniquity any longer because of what Jesus has accomplished. You know, I made that analogy or illustration a few weeks ago. We got to let go of the baggage that we willfully carry on our own. If he's forgiven you and he said that thing has been removed from your life, then let the baggage go. Don't carry it through the terminal any longer. This is something I just, I've been coaching myself, I believe it's the Holy Spirit to encourage others also. Let go of those bags. And you might be sitting here today when you heard these words from the widow when she says and speaks to her iniquity. What did Jesus say about iniquity? What did he say about sickness? So I'm gonna invite you to turn just for a few moments to John chapter 9. John chapter 9. You know, John chapter 9, it's a beautiful story of uh, how Jesus heals a blind man. And it's going to illustrate for us uh, that challenges the common belief that the physical ailments that we experience in this life are a direct result because of our sin. And even in Jesus' day, there were those who really hammered that, who really made their bed within that camp, and he had to correct them on that very teaching and so in John 9, 1 through 27, Jesus has encountered this, this blind man. He, he was born blind, and even his disciples inquired whether this blindness was caused because of his own sin or that of his parents. And so in this interaction, Jesus clarifies that neither the, 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 uh, the man's sin or the parent's sin was the result, but rather it was an opportunity for God to be glorified. And so he goes on to heal this man of his blindness that astonished everyone who saw and heard. John chapter 9. As he was passing by, he saw a man blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, Jesus answered. This came about so that God's works might be displayed in him. We must do the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And after he said these things, he spit on the ground and made some mud from the saliva and spread the mud on his eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool, Siloam which means sent. So he left, washed, came back seeing. Could you just for a moment there imagine this picture? You've heard it so many times. People have taught on this and preached on this why that mixture, and there's all these different teachings, and yeah, you can go, and you can park yourself in different understanding, but God does things that go beyond our understanding and comprehension. I don't think we're supposed to get caught up in the formula of how God brought about it. Doesn't mean if you see someone blind on the street corner, that wait, they haven't received their sight yet, because i got to find some mud, and I need to mix it with some saliva. But here was this trust that Jesus was doing what the Father had sent him to do, that that God would be glorified. That's encouragement for us. And so it says, his neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar said, isn't this the one who used to sit begging? And some said, he is the one. And others were saying, no, but it looks like him. There's always going to be the doubting camp. When God moves, you got to be prepared for people to say, nah, that's just, that didn't really happen. They want to, again, the enemy of our souls wants to knock us down a peg or two to be able to deny, deny, deny. He's very cunning. And he kept saying, I'm the one. And so they asked him, then how were your eyes opened? And here it is. Here's the open door. Here's this opportunity of transformation of anyone who wants to hear. And he says, the man called Jesus made mud, spread it on my eyes, and told me, go to Siloam and wash. So when I went and washed, I received my sight. Again, the emphasis isn't on the formula. The emphasis is on the fact that he heard what Jesus said, and he did it. He acted upon it, and it says he received his sight. And so it says, where is he, they asked. I don't know. You know, many times when we experience healing in our life, you know, the the critics want to question, question, question. Why don't you provide additional proof? Well, let me talk to the person who laid hands on you and who spoke to you at the end of the day. We, we, we don't want to get caught up again. We don't want to get caught up in those camps and just trust and believe and those who have ears to hear, they will hear, they will receive it and otherwise leave the results to God. Don't waste your time in trying to provide more proof that's unnecessary. And so they brought in the man who used to be blind to the Pharisees. The day that Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes was a Sabbath. Then the Pharisees asked him again how he received his sight. He put mud on my eyes, he told them. I wash and I can see. In verse 16 it says, some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God because he doesn't keep the Sabbath. But others were saying, how can a sinful man perform such signs? And there was a division among them. Again, they asked the blind man, what do you say about him since he opened your eyes? And here's another open opportunity, another open door. He's a prophet, he said. The Jews did not believe this about him, that he was blind and received sight until they summoned the parents of the one who had received his sight. How sad and true in the world we live today that people can't take you at your word and you got to get the opinion of another. You know, many times when I've served in different places, have the privilege of encountering people who have come to the Lord. And it's such a beautiful experience because they're so on fire for God. And very quickly, their fire can almost be doused because they can maybe question the authenticity of their conversion experience. Did you say the Lord's prayer in a certain way? And they start to look at the evidence of the fruit of their life right away. But here, this is so nice. Don't, Don't get caught up in this stuff. Take their word for their word. And so they asked them, is this your son, the one you say was born blind, then how does he now see? And you could just imagine the parents for a moment. They must be just overjoyed with what's happening, and now they're in this inquisition. Their son can see, and yet this is happening. And they say this in verse 20, we know this is our son and that he was born blind, but we don't know how he now sees, and we don't know who opened his eyes. Ask him, he's of age and he will speak for himself. Our testimony is valid enough. Sometimes the enemy would want to put the seed in your soul to say your word doesn't count. You don't measure up to other folk. Remember, he's cunning, he's deceptive. Ask him, He's of age and he will speak for himself. And so his parents said these things because they were afraid of the Jews since the Jews had already agreed that if anyone confessed him as the Messiah, he would be banned from the synagogue. This is why his parents said, he's of age, ask him. So a second time they summoned the man who had been born blind and told him, give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. And he answered, whether or not he's a sinner, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind and now I can see. At the end of the day, I understand apologetics and all those matters and aspects are important. But at the end of the day, when God works a miracle and he works in your life, believe it. Don't let anyone dissuade dissuade you and Keep in that vein of testimony. Don't let others speak against it or knock you down or to question what you've received. You know, even in my own life, when I was dealing with different um, matters and even sickness, and the medical community is an incredible community because my brother himself is a physician. One of our, you know, other worship leaders, Brad, is a physician as well. And the medical community is so valuable and important. But at the end of the day, when my own life, the way that when I had cancer come upon me, it spread quickly in a way that was unexpected many ways, even on the reports, the ultrasound and stuff. I remember the specialist saying, oh my goodness, like we didn't even see this on your original ultrasound before we went into surgery and it had spread. And he went in and he said, I got as much or as best as I could, but I believe it's going to be fine. If anything, we might have to do a mop-up afterwards. I thought, what a, what a funny saying. We might have to do a mop-up afterwards. But you know, in that moment, actually it was my wife, because um, she received those words first from the surgeon. I was still out and under, and she was in the car, and she just began to pray, Lord, I understand what's happening. And you can just, very similar to Elijah, says, I don't know what's happening but I believe that you can work, Lord, and you will intervene in my husband's life. And I appreciate that, that prayer that she gave. But even after those days, we have believed and confessed in working in the medical community that God make a, made a way, and that was a miracle. And it, along the way, I've had, I have had conversation with folk, unbelievers, but also believers, questioning, well, was it really a miracle? Or was it just purely and strictly the medical community? At the end of the day, I believe it was the Lord and he was working with the physician's hands and so on. Let's get out of the, again, this camp of questioning and questioning. Just believe, have faith and testify to that fact. And so here we see these leaders, they want him to deny the encounter. What is happened? Verse 28, it says, they ridiculed him. You are that man's disciple, but we are Moses' disciples, like this upper echelon, this, this better club. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but this man, we don't know where he's from. This is an amazing thing, the man told them. You don't know where he's from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God doesn't listen to sinners, but if anyone is God-fearing and does his will, he listens to him. Throughout history, no one has ever heard of someone opening the eyes of a person born blind. If this man were not from God, he wouldn't be able to do anything. And so think about right at the beginning of this interaction, I close with this. Jesus said, this issue in this man's life, this illness, is not because of his sin or the sin of his parents, but this was so that God would get the glory. And look at what this, this young man said to the Inquisition. Never in history have we seen a man born blind healed in such a way. And so this passage This interaction, both from 1 Kings and John 9, shows us in regards to iniquity, in regards to sickness, that not all suffering is a direct consequence of sin. Number two, God's providence, his spiritual power and protective care is always present. He's not seeking to punish you, but he wants to to lift you up. And if we can really wrap ourselves around that, allow that to stir us, we will be able to get, get beyond that issue and focus in on seeing our struggles, our trials as an opportunity for the Lord to move. And so as Brad um, plays and leads us into a time of worship, a few next steps as I'm also conscious of the time. The reason why I put in very clearly bold letters here, next steps, is Elijah, after he pleaded for the widow's son, he took that next step and he stretched himself over the young man three times. And so I have three points of next steps. Number one, cultivate unwavering faith. No matter what is before you, what you face, even in the midst of naysayers, be resolved in your faith that nothing with God is impossible. Number two, shift your perspective on suffering. Instead of trying to figure out blame and playing that name game, see it as an opportunity to demonstrate his power and love over you. And number three is this, compassion over judgment. You know, Jesus, he shows us this example of what compassion looks like when people are suffering he showed this genuine concern for his burden. And it's like, it's as if he's saying, I hear you. I know, it hasn't. I'm, it's not that I've been unaware. I know you were born this way, but today, this very moment in time, we were going to meet and I was gonna reach and minister to you so that God would be glorified. And we can relate that here to today when we exercise compassion over judgment. Don't focus on maybe the things that have happened in the person's life when you're engaging in conversation with them, but pray like Elijah that the Lord would move in their life and that life transformation would take root. And I'll tell you, this is the, this is the, I'm not saying it's a formula, but this is the true secret, if I can put it that way, to a peaceful understanding of the situation that we put away the guessing and the name game and so forth, that we will be a witness to God's glory all around us, all around us. Our lives should point to God's transformative work. God's transformative work. God is in the transformation business. Embrace those challenges, see those opportunities to speak to God's goodness and faithfulness, amen? Let's pray together, Heavenly Father, we thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you for your goodness. Lord, I thank you even in my own preparation. I appreciate and, and <laughs> that you ministered even to me when I'm sharing and teaching and proclaiming your gospel, your good news. And Lord, even in the midst of that, even with everything that's been said, Lord, I thank you that that which you would have be received and desp- deposited in each person's spirit and heart today, that that would take effect and everything else that perhaps is not from you, for their situation would be jettisoned. Lord, I thank you these encounters, these stories, help us to cultivate unwavering faith, to shift our perspective, and to see the trials and struggles we face as opportunities to see your glory all around us. Move in us, have your way in our life. We love you that when we call upon you, we are saved and that you are faithful to do what you promised you would complete. That you are faithful and true. That's the foundation of your throne. Righteousness, faithfulness, and justice. And that it flows out from you,
1: O oh Lord. We trust
0: you. We trust you with our lives. We trust you with your church. In Jesus' name. Amen. join you to worship with us. And I encourage you if you have a need in your body, if you have a need in your thought life or those who maybe are not here, you can stand in proxy for what they're enduring at this very moment in time and take action through prayer and worship. Amen.
1: Feel free to stand with us here. We're going to sing this last song together.